0: Thanks to Buffy for supporting The Secret Room. For $20 off your Buffy comforter, visit Buffy.co and enter promo code SECRET.
1: The Secret Room is brought to you by Murder Book, a new true crime podcast hosted by bestselling author Michael Connolly, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Also, be sure to check out Dark Sacred Night, Michael Connolly's latest number one bestseller, featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard.
2: Do you have tell me me how it is? What happened was is I broke into my boyfriend's cell phone and I found out his parents were loaded. And then he doesn't want to tell me because he wants me to, me to think he's a normal person,
0: but I can't help it. I look at him differently, and now I'm never letting his ass go. <laughs> and I'm having no freedom. Like that's what happens. <laughs>
2: Hello, my name is Matt, and my secret is that I believe I am responsible for my mother cutting my father's throat.
1: Today, a story about parental neglect and abuse.
2: I'm nervous. I will. I'll be able to do this, but I've never told the story before, so I'm still...
1: Matt will unfold the events that led to that summer night encounter between his parents.
2: How old were you? I believe I was 12. I was 11 or 12. Okay.
1: That night was 20 years ago, and Matt, now in his early 30s, has come to share his story in our little community in hopes that it might help others.
2: Have you shared The Secret with anyone else? Nobody in my life. It's been 20 years since the event, and uh, I've never repeated it to anybody. Wow, that's amazing.
1: This is The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells. I'm Ben Ham. Hi, Matt. Welcome to The Secret Room.
2: Uh, hi. Hi, Ben. It's, uh, good to be here.
1: Thank you for taking the time to share this very emotional secret. Yeah. We're gonna, we're gonna get into it. Do you have brothers or sisters?
2: I do. I have, uh, an older and a younger.
1: When you were being raised by your parents, how would you describe your family?
2: Dark. Very dark. Why is that? My parents, uh, they worked a lot, and, uh, I don't think they really understood how to be parents. I don't think they understood how to set boundaries. They didn't understand how to discipline. And they definitely didn't really know how to care.
1: How did that manifest? What did you, as a kid, notice that you were missing?
2: I just didn't see any of the compassion or sympathy that I saw in other kids my age. I would, Mm -hmm. like being a child, of course, you go over to their house and have tea and cookies or whatever we do. And I would see their mom's ask them how their day was or pat them on the back or compliment them or say or just anything like feedback i i felt like i very much existed uh in a vacuum me me and my brothers just were sort of like children in an empty house most days
1: and your parents treated your brothers the same way
2: yes if if not in some cases worse
1: Prior to the, the attack on your father, was, would you say the household was unstable?
2: When the, the divorce began about a year before this, before the night in question, and it was very tumultuous, m- mostly due to drug use. I, my mother had randomly become very addicted to speed or amphetamines. She would stay up for several days straight and, and hallucinate and uh, stuff like that. So my father moved out. It uh, took some of the kids and left some of the kids. So some of us were around it and some of us weren't. So uh, uh, it was just one of those things where we, we didn't know what to do and we didn't know where to be in life. And, and watching our parents fight so viciously was, was very difficult.
1: Do you remember a time when their relationship was good or or was it always kind of bleak?
2: It was always bleak, but there also were very bright spots. Just I, I, I will say that there were times where you could see that they loved each other and sometimes where you could see that they really loved us. Like uh, we we once did a complete surprise trip to Disneyland by car, just drove for like three days straight and went to our Disney World and, and just went and saw Mickey Mouse. And it was an extremely positive, great experience. So it, it wasn't all bad, but it was it, it was it was. It sort of gave a temperature gauge to how screwed up the rest of the times were.
1: That's a nice memory to have.
2: Yeah. Acknowledge that they were humans. As horrible as things were, I the older I get, the more I realize that they, they were people and reacted to their circumstances.
1: Was there any physical abuse between your parents and you or your brothers?
2: A considerable amount of beatings, uh, locking fridges, uh, making us earn meals, wow. a heavy degree of physical abuse. And uh, as a child, I, I wanted to be a writer. Like, from a very young age, I found a lot of freedom in writing complete fictional short stories of wizards and magic and stuff children write about. But this was a thing that was of great pride. One time I tried to show my mother something I had written. She ripped it up in front of me and said that it was dumb. It was just very emotionally traumatizing, because it's one of the things of, like, I made this. That's That was my thing. They did that, and they also did stuff like that to each other a lot. They definitely tried to scream and fight and emotionally wound each other as much as possible with terrible, terrible insults. the hard part of all this was that uh, i sought help several times as a child i tried to do what they always said in those silly after school specials and i i tried to talk to adults i tried to talk to teachers i tried to go to counselors i tried to like get help and nobody did sometimes cps would like show up and look around and leave and uh but i I never got rescued like i so badly wanted
1: oh my god and did your parents get mad at you when cps that's child protective services did they did they get mad when they showed up
2: it was so bad already it's it's hard to see the, uh, there was so much punishment already it was hard to know what punishment was for what
1: what kinds of things were you punished for
2: uh, we would be punished for laughing too loud or, or fighting or doing anything like noise that we were never allowed to make noise the children always had to be silent we would watch tv muted my brothers and I invented our own style of sign language to actually communicate with each other just because noise was not allowed and if you made noise a lot of times it, it led to beatings it led to being noticed and it led to being hurt
1: can you tell me about the beatings what what did they look like
2: <sighs> they would uh, basically just be whatever was nearby I mean you uh, my little brother my little brother definitely got some of the worst beatings sometimes my father would literally beat punch him in the stomach as a child punching a a child in the stomach uh he broke a board over my little brother one time uh i mean just i I mean just literally things that if they put in a movie the movie could not be aired like it it is just the most horrible stuff
1: sounds like an absolute nightmare
2: It, it was uh it was
1: and what a what a breakdown that nobody ever was able to come to your rescue
2: yeah, and, and that was sort of the hardest part is is so many people knew the abuse was happening, like so many of my friends. But in a way, I also think that's what helped me with my sanity the most mm-hmm. is having it be an open secret. It made it where my suffering and my bruises, they didn't need excuses. I never once had to lie about any of my wounds. And I, I do think that that helped me heal a lot faster than the people who have to lie about their abuse.
1: So you mentioned that your parents were getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. Do you know what brought that on? Why they decided to split?
2: I I actually don't know. I, I don't. And I, I haven't spoken to my mother in almost 10 years, so I, I wouldn't even know how to ask her.
1: Wow. In your email to me, you described that your parents' divorce was, and I quote you, emotionally violent. Can you describe what you meant by that?
2: M- heavy levels of screaming, of uh, manipulation.
1: Hmm. Sounds awful. Yeah. Did you and your brothers discuss what was going on together?
2: No. It, 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 in, in an environment like that, it's hard to see anybody as an ally. It, it very much felt like dogs in the dog pit. We we fought each other ruthlessly. I mean, <sighs> my brothers and I, we would literally beat each other and stuff when the parents weren't around. It was, it's awful. We, we have gotten over in our way own way but i mean when you're in an ecosystem that just has so much violence you accidentally continue the cycle even if unbeknownst to why you're doing it
1: well and i'm sure the environment just made you guys angry filled you with rage and it had to come out somewhere yeah yeah did they pit you against each other
2: No, they would do some emotional manipulation of talking who the best kid was, or trying to compare us in ways that no parent should. But they never, ever really made us compete against each other or anything. Thankfully.
1: So, how did your parents compare you in ways that no parent ever should?
2: Just comparing our intelligences, our strengths, our achievements. My father made me enroll in Boy Scouts at a young age, and I sort of liked it, and I sort of found some like some friends there, but. I had a terrible fear of the dark as a child, which I've read is sometimes a, an outlet of childhood abuse. And uh, I was on a camping trip one time, and I was, I was really afraid, and I was telling uh, someone in the camp trip that I, I was afraid of my father called me a coward, and he, he said that if I was afraid, I should run out in the woods with my tail between my legs, and that, that my brothers would be brave enough to handle this.
1: So, Matt, take me to the night in question. Where were you that night? I want to tell you about a new true crime podcast that you will find binge worthy. It's hosted by best selling author Michael Connolly. And if you're a fan of his books, you will love this podcast. In Hollywood on a hot summer night in 1987. A 21-year-old man was fatally shot during an attempted carjacking outside a popular nightclub. That carjacking gone wrong started a murder case that has lasted three decades. Wiretaps, witness interviews, court recordings, and detective recollections piece together this true crime podcast. Murder Book is a true crime podcast about the real stories of the American justice
0: system, flaws and all. I had no doubt he did our murder. If it wasn't my blood 16, 17 years ago, what's gonna make it mine now? Listen,
1: as Connolly explores real homicide cases not covered by mainstream media, chapter 8 just dropped. This series is a treat for podcast lovers. Also new from Michael Connolly, Dark Sacred Night, his latest number one bestseller featuring detectives Harry Bosch and Renee Ballard. So, be sure to check out Michael Connolly's new Murder Book Podcast on your favorite podcast app or at MurderBookPodcast.com. That's MurderBookPodcast.com. Everyone has secrets,
0: I guess.
2: I was at my mother's house. It must have been summertime because I definitely didn't have school the next day. It was very late at night, and I had a room there, but I was very afraid of my room. Uh, I have been my whole life, so I, I would sleep in the living room on the floor.
1: Why were you afraid of your room? Uh,
2: nightmares. I've had very bad problems with nightmares my whole life, which, again, I've, I've read is usually a sign of childhood trauma. Your brain gives you, like, psychological problems to work out. So just, I, I would dream of the abuse and, and such. <sighs> so I would, uh, I would sleep on the floor in the living room. Right. And at about... It must have been midnight, maybe 2 a.m. My father awoke me. My father was was in my mother's house, and he woke me up and was like, hey, uh, if you wake up since you're here in the living room, I'm just trying to get some stuff, and I, I don't want to wake anybody up. It was just me and my mother in the house at the time, and now my father. And I was just like, oh, okay, and I and I went back to sleep. Sometime later, my mother woke me, and I was uh, in the living room, and she said, is anybody in the house? Like, I, I think I hear somebody in the house. Hmm. And I, I'd forgotten. I, I had, of course, it, it completely slipped my mind. I'm not thinking about who's in the house. I'm asleep. So she decided to explore the house. And at this point, I'm like rubbing my eyes and waking up. And and she finds Dad, and they start having a a big giant argument about him invading her space. And uh, I, I can't remember the full context, but she was very very angry that it was there. Just extremely angry. And so she ended up walking partway up these stairs. Uh, We had a second story to the house, which is where her room was and my room was, but I I never slept in it. Uh, So she walked partway up the stairs and and picked up a—she had a glass in her hand, like a drinking glass. And uh, my father was at the bottom of the stairs saying something to her, and she was talking about him crossing boundaries. And uh, when he started to reply, she smashed the glass on his face, and it lodged several large shards of glass uh, into his throat.
1: Oh, my God.
2: Yes. Uh, and uh, he he survived. My father is still alive to this day, and he grew a nice beard to cover up any scarring, but uh, it was a very bad event. All of this was very much in slow motion and in the dark, but my father ran out of the house and called the police, and it was this big deal because he had left the crime scene, so it's this big thing, and they ended up wanting to be me to be a witness it's just and it's just a huge huge thing and i feel like it very much is my fault because if i'd been able to warn my mom that i'd seen dad or or something maybe, maybe it wouldn't have started this argument maybe maybe i could have diffused it before it escalated
1: right so there's a few things to take a look at there first of all On some level, you must know this is not your fault.
2: I, 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 it's, it's hard to acknowledge that. I I believe that something eventually bad would have happened, but this specifically does feel like it's on my shoulders.
1: I don't think it should be.
2: I, I, I mean, I, I, I'm conscious of the fact that it's not, I'm I'm conscious of it, but it's, it's hard not to somehow carry it. I am aware that stuff like this happens, like, that stuff like this unfortunately happens and that something bad would have happened that night no matter what, but uh, it, it's hard.
1: Yeah. I mean, it seems like that was the road your parents were on. Even if it wasn't that night, it may have happened somewhere else. There was so much tension brewing.
2: Yeah. I mean, and and you're exactly right, Ben, is violent people always end up doing violent things. Yeah.
1: That's a good way to put it. It's true. Did you have to testify as a witness in court
2: I I was prepped as a witness and they ended up pulling my testimony at the last minute. I was actually in the courthouse about to go out on the stand when they, they told me that they didn't want to use my testimony. Yeah. The exact court details are were never revealed to me because obviously I was a child, but it seems like perhaps in court she admitted guilt or something. She went to jail for a while, and when she got out, they created a statewide restraining order. She was never allowed to be in the same state as my father again, so she had to leave the state, and I basically never saw her again.
1: And I guess you gave up all rights to custody for you and your brothers.
2: Yeah, so we were raised by my father after that well, or, or well my little brother disappeared after that but uh, I was my older brother and I uh, stayed with my father.
1: Wow. okay. so I'll get to that. I guess under the law, the court could compel you a minor to testify in this as a witness in this horrible case.
2: Yeah, I can't remember all the details. I believe the lawyers were really pushing me into it because I was the only person there. And I think I think in some capacity, they were worried about her being dangerous and they were afraid that maybe she would come back and do something to the children. And I think that was the point was to show, like, if we show that the kids are afraid of her and one of the children witnessed this, it, it'd be easier to put her away longer. I, I'm not sure what the lawyer's motivations was.
1: You must have felt, Terrible conflict having to testify like that.
2: Yes, I I very clearly remember not wanting to do it. I I felt like there was an importance to what I was doing and that I I was helping these adults in the serious circumstance, but I was also just so, like, I felt awful.
1: I know you must have felt the burden of that guilt then that you feel now.
2: I, I did, Ben, but it was also different. I, I feel like ch- children have more trouble reflecting. I think at the time I was in shock for years. I don't think I fully processed that night until I was an adult.
1: Did you at the time feel that it was either parents' primary fault?
2: I, I held it against my mother for many, 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 many years.
1: Wow. And so your brother disappeared. What? Where did he go? What happened?
2: I have no idea. He He just left. He was a child. He must have been... I, I couldn't even tell you his age, but he was—he was definitely not even in middle school, and he just disappeared. And
1: I mean, how is that possible? He's just gone.
2: Yes, he—he he just ran away. Like, uh, I mean, he was—he was practically a child. He came back uh, in his teenage years, but uh, yeah, he—he he has no formal education or anything now. Oh my
1: god! So he just somehow made his way.
2: Yeah, and he—he is—he's definitely the most messed up of all the kids, unfortunately, because of all the—all the abuse.
1: It's Terrible. And so when he reappeared, how did he, how did he find you?
0: Hey everyone, Susie Lark here. I wanted to pop on and tell you about my new comforter because it's really great and worth talking about. It's from Buffy. Buffy makes comforters that are better for you and better for the environment. They use skin-friendly eucalyptus fabric and the fill is made out of 100% recycled water bottles, and the fill is really fluffy and soft, and you've just never felt anything quite like it. And those recycled water bottles that are inside the blanket, those don't have BPAs because they don't belong in your water bottles and they don't belong in your comforter either. It's really the softest blanket you've ever tried. It's really fluffy and you lay on it and it kind of wraps around you. You get a 30 night trial, don't love it, just return it for free. I have really cold feet and I like to go to bed with socks and this blanket keeps you the perfect temperature and so it keeps my feet warm all night and I don't have to worry about wearing socks to bed. It's so comfortable when my alarm goes off in the morning, I just don't wanna get out of bed. For $20 off your Buffy Comforter, visit buffy.co and enter promo code secret. That's buffy.co, promo code secret for $20 off.
1: How many years later was it when he came back?
2: It must have, let me think, five or six years, maybe, maybe maybe longer.
1: And tell me about that reunion.
2: There was no magic to it or anything. Like, he he was gone, but he, uh, he was gone, but you'd still hear about him occasionally and see him. He would, like, show up occasionally at stuff, never family stuff, but, like, A neighborhood is an ecosystem. Like, you know, everybody kind of sees each other over and over again. So I don't have any clear memories, but I do believe, I do believe the police brought him home once and then he disappeared again. And then he just disappeared again and again. And and I don't think we saw him again until after high school or maybe, maybe 17 or 18.
1: Wow. So it seems like he was living in the area.
2: Yes, he, he's only told me one story about it once, and he did tell me a story of uh sleeping in a uh, donate closed donations bin and sleeping in the woods for a while. But I, I have no context. I have no idea what his final motivation for leaving was or what was so bad that he was afraid to come back. I, I have no idea. I can't speak on that.
1: Yeah, you know, maybe because he was just completely messed up.
2: Whew. Yeah, well, and, and he did receive the worst of the abuse. What I saw was, was terrible, but he definitely received the worst of the physical abuse.
1: Wow. Do you know what he's doing now?
2: I do not. I haven't seen him in, in a few years. He he chose to cut to contact with me about uh, four years ago.
1: Wow. And what about your other brother? What's he doing?
2: He turned out pretty good. He's uh, your standard run-of-the-mill genius. He taught himself a bunch of languages and <laughs> managed to travel the world, and uh, he's he's chasing his dreams. It took him a long time. And, and we've had some long talks. It's taken him a long time to realize that he was missing emotional parts of his development due to growing up in such a loveless household. But he tried to like regrow those parts of his life as an adult. And, and in a way, I definitely think he's found his own happiness. Well,
1: that's great to hear. What a relief.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: And, and Matt, how, how are you doing?
2: I found my own uh, way as well. I my journey was not good and was rickety and had a bunch of uh, pitfalls. But I'm very lucky that my whole life I've had a lot of friends. I've always been able to just build my own surrogate family. So despite all my own like troubles, definitely where I'm at now is great. I feel like I definitely ended up where I was supposed to be.
1: Oh, congratulations. Did you, did you seek any help counseling along the way?
2: I, I wanted to. I I've been extremely broke my entire life, though. So I I wanted it for a long time. I went through a suicidal phase and stuff because of this. When I really tried to like mentally deal with it, uh, tried to take my own life at one point. I really needed help for a while there, and I just could not afford it. There was no way to. There was no programs in place or anything. So I just kind of had to lean on my friends a little bit heavier there for a couple of years, and I, I managed to. I managed to just get there i i couldn't even tell you how but i mean i i managed to build my own mental wall one brick at a time
1: right well it's fortunate you had a good support system
2: yeah very much so
1: have you have you spoken about these times with your brother that you're in touch with
2: a very limited amount we sort of have come together a few times and sort of shared our
1: own war stories and so do you even know where your mom is now
2: I know what state she's in and I, I have an idea how I could find her, but I'm, I'm honestly terrified to do so. Uh, just a different kind of fear. Like, I just don't think I could face her. I, I don't, I don't, my mom's probably an old lady at this point and I'm not sure I could ask her the questions that I'm sure I would ask.
1: What do you think she would say to you if you found her?
2: I don't want to know because 10 years ago, the last time I spoke to her, She told me that she was happy about the abuse. She said to me, if you water a tree too much, all the roots are at the surface. But if you starve a tree, it grows deep roots and can survive any storm. And uh, when she told me that, I hung up a phone and I haven't talked to her in 10 years.
1: Interesting analogy.
2: I know. And quite horrible. I've thought about it a million times.
1: Yeah. Huh. And your father? Where is he?
2: He's here where I live. Um, I only see him two or three times a year, but I, I've made peace with his actions. He's uh, remarried and, and found a, a lot of happiness. I still am not able to fully justify some of the horrible things he did, but it's mm-hmm. it's also one of those things where as you, as you get older, it's it's real hard to carry a grudge, it seems like. The older I get, the more grudges just kind of fall out of me.
1: It's probably healthy to let go. Yeah. Or to come to... You know, to resolve your feelings in some way and move on. Mm-hmm. I think. Is, is your father's life still chaotic or is he turned over a new leaf?
2: Yeah, he very much changed dramatically. There was still a considerable amount of abuse through the high school years. But then after we all left, all, all the kids basically one by one, we all sort of disappeared in our own way. Uh, and when we did, like we all left home at 18. My little brother obviously left home at like 13. Uh, and we all just left the second we could, and and just disappeared under the winds. So when we all reunited, uh, my father was a very changed man. He was much more positive,
1: much more calm. Did you ever wonder what was going on with him?
2: Yeah, yeah. I just, I, I couldn't tell you what happened. What I mean, he must have just had his own personal journey that I never asked him about. But he, hmm. he definitely just, he, he really mellowed out and kind of just became your old uh, hippie type.
1: Wow. Have you ever laid it out on the table with him, like? had to sit down you see him three times a year and just like hey dad that was really messed up you know back then
2: I'm I'm too afraid i I'm absolutely terrified I'm there is a weirdness of I feel like I can keep it as a story in my head if I keep it as a story in my head I've thought about writing a book about what's happened but I I feel like I'm too scared to talk to dad about it because I'm afraid he'll say something as bad as what mom said
1: right and you don't want to hear that
2: yeah, I I would not be able to ever look at him ever again if he said something like that.
1: So he lives in the area and you see him three times a year. When you do see him, is it like, hey, dad, you know, <laughs> how's it going? Good to see you.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of the, the people of the lie scenario of like, if, if you pretend everything's fine, everything goes fine. And yeah. I mean, all the, all the kids we managed to, to create our own life. So I, I think he probably justified in his mind of a way of like, yes, these bad things happen, but look how good my kids turned out. So right. maybe the magic worked, you know,
1: do you ever get a feeling like when you're together that he's thinking about it and he has regrets or you think he's just delusional about the past? Completely delusional about the past.
2: I'm certain he's delusional about it, Ben. I, I, I have a feeling that he's never thought about it once. I, I bet it's never crossed his mind of of how these memories still haunt us.
0: Hmm.
1: I can't imagine that they wouldn't haunt you.
2: Yeah it's uh it's it's something to carry. I also I I do I love your show and I do want to tell your listeners that. Like pain fades as, as bad as nightmares can be. And as bad as trauma is like, as you get older, that pain does fade. And, and I mean, there are sometimes days at a time where I don't think about it. Sometimes weeks at a time where I don't think about it. I, I go on vacations. I, I get to live my life. I, I survived it. I, I beat it. You can all beat it.
1: Right. We've had survivors on the show. I'm glad you're one of them. Yeah. Yeah. Why did you want to tell your secret today, Matt?
2: I... It really comes down to, Ben, that I just, I I needed to take the Band-Aid off. I feel like by finally vocalizing my own guilt, my own fear, and sort of just the whole timeline, it sort of helps me to finally just put it in a bag to tie it up so I can set it in the closet and just move on.
1: Right. I can imagine it would be a story that would be very difficult to bring up with people. Mm -hmm. But you haven't shared it with anybody, and... You have close relationships in your life, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. why do you think you, you don't tell those closest to you?
2: I believe it's the biggest side effect of the childhood is that I'm still afraid of appearing weak. I'm so afraid of being the sad, starving dog at the doghouse. I don't want to be attacked by the others. I've never been able to get rid of that fear. And so even now, I can't tell others because I'm afraid that my past trauma will be seen as weakness. I, I'm aware that it wouldn't be and that my loved ones now would never in a million years judge me. But I, I I, just can't quite put that card on the table.
1: Right. Matt, this is such a tough story. I hope you can find a way to, you know, resolve your feelings of guilt about that night. It seems pretty clear from where I'm standing that This had nothing to do with a young kid who was just sleeping, and I know that from your perspective that's probably almost impossible to grasp, but I just want to put that on the table and say that. Thank you. Yeah. Matt, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your story.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here and I, I do hope it I hope it gives somebody some perspective and it's happy to be here.
1: I know that it will. Matt's a survivor and he came to share his story to let others know that they can survive too. Despite the trials of his youth and the pain it still causes him today, Matt does have a good life now. He's got a cool job that he enjoys and he has good people in his life.
2: I have a picture from that era of me as a, as a kid around the time it happened.
1: You can see that picture of Matt and his brothers from 20 years ago, their faces obscured, along with a picture of the house they were raised in. Those pictures are waiting for you now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Our handles, at Secret Room Pod. The Child Help National Child Abuse Hotline is a resource for kids or adults who wish to report child abuse. They serve the U.S. and Canada, at one 800 4453 or at childhelp.org. Street Secrets are curated by Bobby Joe Valdez, music by Breakmaster Cylinder, and Chet is the sound engineer. And our digital marketing coordinator is Tasia Kadash. Internet Mayhem by Susie Lark. Thanks, guys, for working on this little indie podcast that could.
0: Hey, Susie. Hey, Ben. How's it going?
1: I'm OK. Once you shared a really shameful secret about a frame that you have hung sideways in your house, and it's full of stock photos of models, (laughs) you know, to make the frame look good in the store.
0: It's not shameful.
1: Well, uh, a listener wrote in and she wanted to know if you've rectified the situation and put pictures of your own loved ones in there.
0: They're my family. I've accepted them as my own and I would miss them.
2: This is The Secret Room, a podcast about the stories no one ever tells.
1: I'm Ben Ham. Pod on.
2: Pod on. I am uh, man. I am covered in sweat, man. I am freaking out. Oh my gosh. Uh, I
1: hope you feel okay.
2: I'm happy in a very strange way right now. I do appreciate this very much.
1: Yeah, me too. You're doing well, and I I just hope you can find... You know greater peace
2: my weird philosophy now is I, I feel like when i have a family of my own that will give me my final peace when i'm able to like beat those mistakes when i'm able to to see the mistakes of my past and 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 not repeat them i think that's when i'll get my final piece but we'll see